0: Hi everyone and welcome to this What You Talking About Willis podcast. My name is Henry Willis and I'm the Head of Humanities and Politics here at Haleybury College in Melbourne, Victoria. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things international relations, making connections between current world events and the VCE Global Politics Curriculum. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Good morning everyone, it's Thursday the 1st of April and thanks for joining us for another episode of What You Talk About Willis. Uh, So far in this unit, we've covered all the key concepts, uh, the definitions and the four core elements of China's national interest objective. So national security, economic prosperity, regional relationship and international standing. Uh, Just before we go on the holiday break, um, it's a good opportunity for us to have a little bit of a chat about how to write an essay, Uh, how to structure an essay, um, and the kinds of things that you could be doing in relation to the particular topics that you have to write on over the break. When we get back next term, um, we'll certainly talk a lot about China's power, um, which is always relevant to these discussions, but breaking down their types and forms of individual power. So you have two questions to choose from over the break. Uh, question one is embracing idealism makes it more difficult to achieve your national interest objectives. Discuss this statement in relation to One Asia Pacific State. And question two is economic prosperity should be the main priority of all states. Discuss the statement above in relation to One Asia Pacific State. So you've got two statement and discuss questions. What we might do first though, is start with a brief overview of how to write a global politics essay. And then from there, we'll break down those two topics and have a little look at the kinds of things that you can write about. So in terms of general structure for a politics essay, it's important to remember that we're looking to write something that's replicable in exam conditions. And so really we don't want to see essays, certainly over 1200 words. That's the cap for this particular task. Uh, But certainly when we get into exam and SAC conditions, a more realistic expectation is probably to write essays of around 800 to 1000 words in length. Um, You need to remember that the essay uh, is 20 marks, in a two-hour exam so really if we're going at the minute and a half per mark ratio that exists for this exam technically the essay should be completed in around 30 minutes now i would argue that that's a little brief and that you probably need about 40 to 45 minutes to write a decent um, exam style essay. Um, But even at 45 minutes, it's gonna be very difficult for you to write 1200 words. That's something that you might expect in a one hour essay. So really around, I think a thousand words should be the goal and the target for a global politics essay. A global politics essay needs to be structured fairly similarly to your English essays. It has to have an introduction it has to have at least three body paragraphs and it has to have a very brief conclusion. I would suggest three to four body paragraphs depending on the structure that you choose. I probably wouldn't do more than four paragraphs because simply you just don't have the the time and the words to be able to actually fully develop and flesh out um, five paragraphs. So I would aim for an introduction of around 100 to 150 words. Uh, and three body paragraphs around 250 words each. If you are doing a four paragraph response, you may look to shave those paragraphs down to about 200 words each. And then a conclusion should be really quite brief, around 50 to 100 words. Um, It certainly shouldn't be that detailed. And in most cases, an assessor has made up their mind about the quality of the response by the time that they reach the conclusion. So a conclusion just needs to be there to make it a proper essay. Um, and it needs to restate your core contention and the key ideas that were discussed in your essay. So in terms of what we need to see in each of those components, the introduction has to have a couple of key features. The first thing the introduction needs is a little bit of context. Um, We never dive straight into our argument. It's always important to set the scene a little bit and setting the scene usually involves defining some key concepts within within our essay questions, because this is very important that you set up your response in a way which has clearly defined terms. And so for question one about embracing idealism, how that makes it more difficult for a state to achieve your nationalist interest objectives, I think some context would be certainly to broadly outline sort of firstly what idealism is in your essay so you might say you know idealism typically refers to um, the prioritization of ideology over practical considerations um, in contrast pragmatism refers to practical approach to achieving one state's national interest objectives and that perhaps China um, has been torn between these two concepts um, throughout much of the, the 21st century um, it's an introduction that lays the foundation of key understanding of ideas and lets you build up towards your particular contention. So I would say in terms of context, you're looking at about sort of two to three sentences tops. Um, It shouldn't be a massive sort of history or narrative behind China's motivations. Um, It simply sets the scene in terms of outlining the key concepts and linking those key concepts to your selected state, which is in this case, China once you've set the context you need to be able to establish your core argument for the essay and the major ideas that you are going to discuss so really the introduction is setting up your entire response uh, the sequence of points the structure of the points that i'm going to see in your essay should really be reflected in the kinds of things that you say in your introduction now in saying that you don't want to necessarily sort of dot points your key ideas because that can sound a bit rigid and it can lack sophistication Um, but you do want to sort of take the reader on a little bit of a journey from what is your first sort of point or points how does that change or evolve into something else and then ultimately how do we arrive at your major contention okay so you may choose in many cases when forming arguments and we'll talk about this more for each of the individual topic a good place to start is to go well do i agree or disagree with the statement Um, That will always allow you to position yourself in some way. And I would probably suggest it's important that um, to play it safe and show your assessor that you are answering the question. I would always agree with the statement in the first paragraph to a degree. You know, show that yes, in at least some situations, it is fair to say these things, because I think that shows you answering the question. It's nice and explicit. But then from there, you might have opportunities to go off in some different directions that maybe challenge the statement. So what are your core ideas gonna be? And what is your argument gonna be? They're the major things that we want to see in an introduction. And what is really important, I can't stress this enough, is that the ideas that follow in your body paragraphs are reflective of the ideas being presented in your introduction, that they all come together to support the central theme or argument in your introduction and that they're all presented in a way that's logical and flows. Um, You don't wanna sort of present ideas in a particular order in your introduction and then change that order or bring in different ideas or different way of looking at the topic within your body paragraph. So there needs to be consistency there. A good essay is all about tying everything together that you say and weaker essays might have a paragraph or two that doesn't quite fall in line with that central theme being discussed in the introduction. So that's how you write an introduction. Once you've got that set, you need to then start thinking about your body paragraphs. And so in politics, we use a teal-like structure or my list describe explain type structure, whereby each paragraph needs to have a central theme or a concept or an idea that you are discussing. So that really needs to be the first sentence and it needs to be nice and clear. Once we've made that kind of statement, we need to link that to contemporary politics. So we need to bring in our examples um, and we need to quantify that. If we're gonna be argumentative and evaluative, we can't just be theoretical and say, oh, this is what China intends to do. This is what you know it could look like. Um, we wanna say things like this was the case in 2019 when this particular event happened these statistics reinforce this view they demonstrate highlight illustrate the point that i am making so you want to be strong with your evidence use you want to quantify the point that you are making and show your assessor that yes the point is a valid one and it is being reflected in contemporary international relations Once you've done that, you then transition to your core explanation. Now, explanation can occur throughout a paragraph. It doesn't have to be done in a lump at the end. Um, You may make a particular point and provide an example and then choose to explain that example and then move on to a different example and explain that example. So I think good, good writing has a capacity to blend evidence and explanation throughout a response, but at least at some stage, particularly towards the end of the paragraph where we wanna sort of wrap things up, you need to explain to me how this particular point relates to your central argument. It's not gonna address every part of the argument. I don't think each paragraph should be a comprehensive overview of every aspect of your argument. You've got three paragraphs or four paragraphs to develop a story and to have that story come together to support your central theme. So paragraph one might make a particular point that agrees with the statement. You know, we go, yes, to a degree, this statement is valid for the following reasons. Here are those reasons, here are those examples. And this shows us how the statement is at least partially true because there are situations where China does put its economy above its other interests. Or there are examples where idealism is problematic and inefficient. So I think you want to have that sort of explanation that connects your points, your evidence to the central thing. In your second and third body paragraphs, I would also potentially suggest connecting it to your previous ideas to show that there's a link between the two. And so if your second and third paragraphs are perhaps going to challenge the statement, or if they're going to agree with the statement as well, um, you can say things like um, this parrots or echoes the themes presented in paragraph one, where this particular point was made or this contradicts or challenges the view presented in paragraph one, which says that, you know, economic prosperity is always prioritized above other national interests. Um, Having an ability to bring your paragraphs together and support that central theme is the most fundamental aspect of essay writing. Um, Lots of people often write three individually very strong paragraphs, but fail to sort of tie those together to produce something more meaningful and larger than the sum of its parts and so they're the body paragraphs it's a teal-like structure topic sentence evidence and explanation and i think in those explanations we're often making links to argument and links to other paragraphs conclusions as i said before are not particularly important they need to be there but pretty much I've made up my mind with your score once I've got to that particular point. So you need to very succinctly, I would say in about two or three sentences, briefly summarize your major points and finish strong on your conclusion. Take me back to the point where we started. Um, Make sure your essay has gone on the complete journey to the same particular point. So, you know, we don't want to say something at the very start and then write something different in our body paragraphs or go off on a tangent um it's a full circle we start at a particular point we go on the journey to demonstrate that point and we get back to where we started which is the re um the affirmation of that particular key idea all right so that's how you structure um a global politics essay Um, In terms of the actual questions that you have in front of you now, um, there are a couple of different approaches. Um, With question one, embracing idealism makes it more difficult to achieve your national interest objectives. Um, Obviously, this is a fairly defiant statement. It's got no gray in it. It's basically saying that idealism is a problem when it comes to achieving your national interest. So I would probably suggest that you at least to a point agree with this statement um, because it shows a connection and one of the important things in an assessment is to make sure you're seen to be answering the question and look there are examples where idealism is problematic for china Um, the very definition would suggest that ideology is perhaps put ahead of certain practical considerations so many would say that practical considerations are the most The easiest or the path of least resistance um, towards achieving what you want to achieve Um, and that there are certain ideals that get in the way of that particular process. And so there's plenty of examples there. I think China's... Um, sort of stepping away from its idealistic communist roots towards a more practical engagement with sort of global and international affairs could be a really good point that you could make here. Um, China's economic prosperity, its power, um, its status has all essentially been built off this transformation away from sort of um, communism and isolationism towards uh, a more integrated sort of model of politics, a more, um, I'm not going to say free model but certainly a a more liberal model of politics and trade and so that could be an example of how china has had to abandon maybe its idealistic roots for the sake of achieving its national interest objectives Um, interestingly there are other examples where um, china's idealistic endeavors can hurt its other objectives too Um, we've seen in recent years a fairly fairly bullish China being very aggressive in pursuit of its national security interests, particularly in places like Hong Kong, um, in Xinjiang province, Um, Taiwan is starting to flare up now as well. Um, In many of these cases, China's overly sort of idealistic view of one China um, and its, its very staunch focus on integrity, homogeneity, security. Um, which could be considered an ideological focus uh, is, is having some fairly um, detrimental impacts on its other interests. Certainly its international standing and regional relationships have um, been completely trashed uh, as a result of much of its conduct in this area. And it's now starting to have an impact on its economy. China is wielding trade sanctions as a tool to punish Australia when we condemn their behaviour or conduct. Um, they're starting to kick out, you know, clothing manufacturers who are criticising Xinjiang sort of cotton picking. Um, there are all sorts of areas where China, you know, it, its its fairly brutally idealistic view of its national security is perhaps causing some problems in other areas. So I think that's an, an interesting point to make. I would, however, make sure that I also provide some sort of however point for this response, and I think that. You know, the statement suggests that idealism is always a problem, but that kind of infor- infers that pragmatism is always good, which is not true. Um, if you are a hundred percent pragmatic, a hundred percent of the time, you're going to have some serious problems in terms of your national interest. Um, I think the economy for China is a really good example of this, where the brutally pragmatic pursuit of economic growth has led to. Major environmental disruptions. Um, $900 billion lost in, in lost product productivity as a result of environmental damage, uh, 1.6 million annual deaths as a result of poor air quality. Um, you know, there are some clear and obvious um, issues with acting in a purely pragmatic fashion and then perhaps that hints at the need for China to embrace um, a more idealistic model of economic growth, a more sustainable model. um, One that puts the environment and human rights and long-term stability ahead of um, short-term profit and that could be a really interesting counterpoint that you could make to challenge the statement, you know, this assumption that idealism always gets in the way of the practical achievement of your national interest objectives. So, that could be an interesting way of structuring that particular topic. The one thing I really would be careful of with this topic is, however, to ensure that you very clearly outline the way in which you intend to use idealism as a concept, because as we know, um, just promoting an ideology, I mean, that could be any ideology, couldn't it? From the traditional communist point of view, um, the ideology has been sort of communist rhetoric, socialism, um, one China, um, very sort of, um, you know, very sort of self-centered, Um, sort of focus on national interest. And that sort of um, devotion to those ideals could be problematic in terms of China's other interests. And it has been problematic. So I think that's fair. You can also look at idealism from a more Western standpoint. When we talk about, well, democracy, human rights, freedoms, um, the rules based international order, liberal international relations. um, These are idealistic motivations for many states but they're not very efficient. You know, democracy is the classic example of something which is, as a system, not efficient. It's not a practical system, but the ideal being protected means that there is transparency and accountability in the system. It means that human rights are protected. It means that the rule of law is upheld. Now, arguably that's achieving a national interest, just not perhaps in a most practical way. So, that's interesting um i think that means that you it's not necessarily a case where you can't achieve your interests by embracing idealism you can it may be more difficult which sort of supports the statement but is that ultimately the best thing to do you know doing what's hard may result in a better example of economic prosperity for China, one that's more equal or doesn't destroy the environment. Or perhaps if China embraced a more idealistic notion of international security, um, it wouldn't find itself in the position where um, its harsh actions are perhaps promoting extremism or driving separatism in their own borders. So these are the kinds of contradictions that I would definitely be exploring in a second or a third body paragraph to sort of challenge that statement. And then overall, your contention is going to be something like, well, you know, idealism, Yeah, yes, it can be difficult to implement by very nature. Pragmatism is the more efficient model of achieving an objective, but pragmatism alone is not the answer. Um, every state has its idealistic sort of limitations, even China. Um, I made the point in class the other day that if China did not have some sense of idealism, um, it would simply eradicate its Muslim populations from Western China. Um, now they are sort of persecuting them, um, destroying their culture. Um, they're doing all sorts of nasty things that we would sort of often consider to be a breach of idealistic norms. but. The event does show that China does have limitations um, to what it will practically do to achieve its interests. And that's because there are benefits to idealism. There's there's a need to have certain standards and values and China can't ignore those standards. Okay, that's probably enough for question one. Uh, Moving on to question two, we've got this idea that economic prosperity should be the main priority of all states. And I think, again, you probably want to start in paragraph one with a discussion about how this could be true. And again, you're going to use your hedging language quite a lot here because it's not 100% true. It's not 100% false. um, It's the answer lies somewhere in the middle of those two extremes and it's your job to sort of like figure that out. So where where is economic prosperity, the the main priority of China? Um, You know, arguably the economy is the foundation of all things in China. Um, It underwrites their national security, um, their military spending. Um, It allows them to increase their power and influence and international standing in pretty much all aspects. So arguably Chinese power is derived from its economic growth. And I think you you can't ignore that. Um, It's a hugely important point to make. And so you probably wanna have a fairly strong paragraph where you talk about how China's economic prosperity has really allowed it to become the superpower that it is today. Um, It underwrites all of its power and many of its interest objectives really are built on economic relationships. In saying that, though, there are some things you need to think about. Think about examples where China is willing to sacrifice its prosperity for the sake of achieving other goals. And so again, we've already discussed from a national security context that China is willing to hurt itself economically for the sake of upholding uh, its national security agenda. China's being sanctioned at the moment because of its treatment of Muslim minorities. They've had all sorts of issues with trade relationships with America, with Australia, again, in an attempt to try and sort of quite bullishly promote their security agenda and protect their international standing. So the economy does not always come first. Um, In many cases, security does. And then the other point that you can make here is that as well, um, you know, the environment's another good point here because historically China has put their economy first over the environment. But it's gotten to the point now where having an economy first attitude means that they're facing all sorts of problems and challenges in the future. So, again, that could be used to challenge. statement and then the other one is that you know so much of china's economic growth is built on trade and trade requires productive regional partnerships and so again you can twist this discussion to suggest that you know what you know the economy is important but the other interests are important too and in many cases they actually underwrite or promote china's economic prosperity And so we can't ignore that. We're going to challenge the statement that the prosperity should be the number one interest all the time. Um, I made the point in class the other day that a nice way to look at this might be that, you know, does economic prosperity actually fit within the umbrella of China's national security? Um, Is it actually about the more non-traditional views of security that include all things like the environment, economy and territory? which should be the major priority and focus for the state. Um, Could that be the kind of argument that you embrace in this particular topic? Um, There's plenty of good things to write about there for sure. So I think that's a a good little overview of those two topics. It certainly gives you an idea of the kinds of things that you can write about. Um, My main advice would be to start with the evidence and build your ideas from there. Don't just throw a structure at the page and go, right, I'm gonna go find off, find some examples to demonstrate this. Look at your evidence. Look at what you've got in my tables and my slides and look at what you've got in those articles. Do some reading and start clumping some examples into sort of consistent ideas. You know, if if you've got a preferred topic, look at your examples and go, where is idealism being put ahead of pragmatism? Where is pragmatism being put ahead of idealism? And what kind of things can I say about these topics that would address the question? And the same with question two. Um, Look for examples where uh, economic prosperity is being put ahead of its other interests. And then look at the reverse. Look at examples where other interests are being put ahead of their economic prosperity. And there are many examples that you can use. And then from there, you've got the opportunity to go off and build a structure for your essay. Okay, all right, well, Let's call that a day. I hope that was useful, everyone. Um, Obviously, this is the last day of term and I won't see you all until next term. So good luck with your essays. Um, Have a great time at the formal night. Um, Behave yourselves. And I will catch up with you all early in term two to read your essays. Have a great break.